I'm Carly Fiorina, and this is By Example. On this podcast, we sit down with leaders of all types to explore examples of real leadership and the qualities of all great problem solvers. I think we get really confused about what leadership is. On By Example, we lift up the real leaders, people who are focused on changing the order of things for the better and solving real problems that are right in front of them. Leading by example. You know, there are some people who come to a set of circumstances or a situation and they look around them and they see the limitations, the constraints. These are the people who look at a set of circumstances and say, I can't do this, they won't let me do that, we already tried this. And then there are other people who come to exactly the same set of circumstances and see the possibilities. These are the people who say, but I could do this, and we've never tried that. And I bet you the people around me would help me do something different. Seeing possibilities is such an important quality of leadership. You can't solve a problem. You can't change the order of things for the better unless you can see the possibility that it actually can get better, that you can make it better. So today I talk with two leaders and problem solvers who exemplify so beautifully how to see possibilities even in the most difficult of circumstances, the most life-threatening of circumstances, actually. Today I talk with NBA star Baron Davis, who, as you will hear, started in very difficult circumstances and yet became not just a famous basketball star, but more importantly even than that, a real problem solver and leader. And you will hear from Dino Smiley, who runs South Central LA's Drew League. As you listen to these two remarkable leaders, think about what they were up against. Think about the possibilities they needed to envision to even get going. Think about the possibilities they saw all around them that drive them, that inspire them, and that lift up everyone around them. Hello, and welcome to By Example. I'm Casey Enders, CEO of Carly's nonprofit, Unlocking Potential, and I'm joined by my very well-dressed, in layers, representing the fall season, Unlocking Potential's managing director and my co-host, Jeffrey Richardson. Hello, Casey. <laughs> I'm also looking really nice in layers, representing the fall. Thanks for calling that out, Jeffrey. But... Yes. I'm, well, I was trying to, you know, I don't know colors, but I love that color. Is it lavender in that sweater? I think it's a little darker than lavender, but I don't really, I also don't it's know It's a light colors. purple, it's but a I've light been purple. admiring it all day. Well, thank, thank you very much. I'm sorry, did our producer have some, do you want to weigh in on the color? Sure. Oh, he thinks it's chartreuse. It's it's definitely not. He's I know an enough about that. No, it's not. No, it is not chartreuse. I don't even think chartreuse is in the purple family. Okay, all right, all right. I know who not to go to when I'm painting my walls this year. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Jeffrey and I are talking about leadership today, as we do uh, in all of our episodes on By Example, and we're very, very fortunate today to have uh, a guest that I am particularly excited about who is speaking to Carly about leadership. Actually, two guests. Um, so one is Baron Davis, who y'all may know as a two-time NBA All-Star and currently a basketball analyst on TNT. My producer, Eric, is nodding that I got that basketball reference right. Thank you. He gave me the A-OK sign. Yes. And Baron is also, he has a number of other ventures. He has the Black Santa Company, uh, which does diversity production. um, And he has a media company and he has a gaming company. So he is an all-around kind of entrepreneur, super interesting guy, leader, as you will hear in the podcast. Yeah, so the kids say crushing the game. He is crushing the game. And I think you'll hear in the podcast kind of where that crushing the game attitude originates from. So he and Carly talk a little bit about kind of his early story um, and where he came from. And you know, I love it because he talks a little bit about what he learned from his grandparents and his unique experience and circumstances growing up. And I think it is a 
perfect kind of segue and introduction to his later life in which he has done so many incredible things and frankly solved so many important problems. Yes, and really highlights the power of like perspective and collaboration because here you have, I think, two people that many would might agree that represent sort of polar opposites Mm -hmm. in America, especially today, right? With Carly Fiorina, right? Um, You know, shattered the glass ceiling in business and run for president and all these great things. And you have Baron Davis, an African-American basketball player, but they both come together around some core basic principles that truly like uh, just change lives and impact communities and build leaders um, in a really, truly amazing way. And so I'm really excited about this conversation. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And we would be remiss if we didn't highlight kind of the third leg of this very important and interesting conversational stool. The other person in the conversation is Dino Smiley, who now runs the Drew League, which was founded with the intent to serve underprivileged kids in South Central LA and give them an opportunity to do something different, to not enter, you know, a life of crime through the gang scene, which was kind of, I think, one of the primary opportunities, frankly, that was kind of staring everybody in the face. If you were happen to be a kid growing up in South Central LA at that time. And Dino took that over and continued it with its, you know, very real intent to solve a serious problem in a neighborhood he knew and cared about very deeply. And then grew it into an organization that not only does that, but also trains incredibly talented basketball players who oftentimes end up going pro. So I think you know, we could talk about this for ages, but let's hear directly from Baron and Dino and Carly. Yes, stay with us. It's going to bless you. I'm here with my good friend, Baron Davis. You know, UCLA basketball star, two-time NBA champ. He's in media. He's Black Santa. I mean, he's given back so much to his community. Some people get to be stars and forget about everybody else, but not Barron. Barron is a leader in his community and a great inspiration to so many people. And so I'm really happy to be with you, Barron. Thank you. And we're in his very cool office in Santa Monica. (laughs) Thank you, Carly. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And you said that this room that we're in is what you called your storytelling room. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, so, uh, you know, in our company, we we get together once a week and, you know, uh, a lot of creatives are here. So, you know, we have storytelling session and, you know, usually that's the, uh, I work all week and then Friday I get to pitch to my team a different movie idea or TV show and things that they work on. One to, you know, allow me to be fully educated on the things and the material that we have, but also so I can get feedback and, you know, be able to tell a better story. So this is the storytelling room. A lot of, uh, you know, yeses and nos happen in this room. And, you know, it's a great vibe. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I want to talk with you a little bit today about your company, about you, and then one of your friends is going to join us. But before we do that, I thought it might be kind of important for our listeners to understand how we met, because my guess is you have some people who are thinking, why the heck is he talking to Carly Fiorina? And right. Maybe I have some people <laughs> who are wondering why I'm here with Baron Davis. Baron and I met in Chicago yes. in June. We mm-hmm. were at something called the Social so- Innovation Summit. Yes. Which was, is, it was great. Yeah, it's where a lot of entrepreneurs gather mm-hmm. and their funders and their founders. And yeah. I was giving a talk, but Baron was giving a talk right before me. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in the audience listening to this guy thinking, oh my gosh, I need to meet this guy. Now, by the way, all of my staff were like, that's Baron Davis. That's Baron Davis. We want to meet Baron Davis. After, after your speech, because I, after you got up and talked, I was sitting there like, okay, she's famous. I've, I've seen her on TV. I know, I know she's super smart, but you were so captivating. And I was so caught, caught up in all your words and hung up on all your words. Because for me, that was kind of like a, a first time speaking to an audience like that on the summit, but the way that, you know, your presence and the way that you kind of commanded the crowd and, and, and allowed them to be a part of, you know, your speech and your journey and everything was just like, it was ironed out and, and, and it was uh, such a great presentation that I don't know if you remember, I was like, Oh my God, I love your speech. And, um, I remember, how could you forget (laughs) Baron Davis telling you something like that? And I was, you know, I was just, wanting wanting to meet you um because it was just something that was you know positive and motivating and for me i i 
I'm only interested in people that I feel that I can learn something from. And I, and I thought at that moment was um, the moment where I was like, okay, she has she has great gifts and great tools, and and I, and I love to meet her. Well, that's very generous, and and uh, I thought exactly the same thing. And so then we met at a table in the hotel, and uh, you said at one point we ought to do a podcast together. Yes. And I said, I was thinking the same thing. So the point is, here we are yes. doing the podcast together. It's awesome. We made it happen. Yeah, we this made is it awesome. happen, which yes. is great. So Baron, you know, one of the things you just said that I think is so important, you said you like to focus on things and on people that are positive. Mm-hmm. And I was with a group of students a couple nights ago. And I said, you know, you're going to meet people in your life who lift you up. Mm-hmm. And you're going to meet people in your life who tear you down. Mm-hmm. Go to the people who lift you up, mm-hmm. and the people who tear you down, don't let them get in your head, especially don't let them get in your heart, No, and don't let them get under your skin. Absolutely. And you lift a lot of people up, but there have been people in your life that lifted you up when you needed that. Absolutely. So you want to tell us about one or two of those people? Yeah. Um, I would say it started with my grandparents, uh, my grandmother and my grandfather, uh, Growing up, uh, actually being born, (laughs) uh, I think at the age of, I want to say three or four, my parents started to get on drugs real bad. And we were going to, basically we got kicked out of our apartment. We were going to child services and into the foster care system. And my my grandmother, um, they had raised a bunch of kids and a bunch of their kids' kids already. You know, just from, you know, uh, uh, some of their some of their children being, you know, taken away to the streets and the street life. So they were forced to raise grandkids. And and my sister and I were the youngest of the last bunch. And, you know, my grandfather was like uh, they were old and and you can tell they just wanted their peace. And so they decided to take me and my younger sister in, um, you know, away from child services. And we started to live with them. And. You know, I think for, you know, talking about somebody lifting you up, you know, it's like, you know, what 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 better way than to have a, a, a roof and a home over your head, to be nurtured, to be loved, to have somebody who's actually paying attention to you, who's disciplining you, who um, no matter what, who you are, what you do, what you turn out to be, they they're giving you the disciplines of life to be a good person and how to treat people. And I thought that my 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 grandmother, my grandfather, they were uh, probably the two most important people in my life, because without without that right there, and then on top of that, the love, and then all the lessons and 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 you know all the disciplines that they gave me, you know I, I would say that those are the two more, most important people when I think about uh, lifting me up. Mm. And how filled their hearts must. Mm-hmm. have been as they watched you grow. Absolutely. <laughs> and it was your grandmother who, you and I share a belief that everybody is gifted by God. Everyone mm-hmm. has a gift. Not everyone has the opportunity to find it or use it. Yeah. But your grandmother knew what your gift was, and mm-hmm. she was the one who really encouraged you towards basketball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for her it was more like she saw that basketball was my escape. Mm. And so... You know, I I know a lot of like my older cousins or, you know, her kids are like, oh, she's a little lenient. She lets you do certain things and lets you travel. But she knew that basketball was a part of my heart. And that was her way of, you know, connecting to me. You know, she knew nothing about basketball, cared nothing about basketball. But she would use that as a way of helping me become a better person and teaching me how to become uh, a, a better young man and more responsible and things like that. So, you know, it was like I was learning all these things about me, you know, um, because she was allowing me to, you know, go off and play and play on the court and sometimes stay uh, past the street lights coming on, you know, and I, I'd be like five, six years old. And she would just give me the freedom to like roam because she knew like she knew where I was and she knew what I was doing. And, and I think that trust from an early age allowed me to kind of, grow up early and and really listen to all the things that she was saying. Well, you know, there are some people, Baron, and I'm sure you know them, but there's some people who achieve success 
and achieve fame and achieve stardom, and you've achieved all those things, who kind of go rest on their laurels or get selfish Mm -hmm. about it. And you've done exactly the opposite. You are so invested in helping to lift other people up and being a leader in your community. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, You know, I think for me, it's, you know, with success and and stardom and fame comes, you know, great failure as well, you know. And and for me, it's um, at times, uh, I always say kind of like going on this journey alone, you know, taking the, the road less traveled is, I didn't have the infrastructure, you know, um, or or the backing or the support from, you know, I think the all-around business aspect of it or, you know, what you would need to become a star or be in the industry. And so, you know, for me, it was more so kind of navigating who I wanted to be in it. And a lot of times I think that you know, we all as people, when we have a little fame or a little bit more money or, you know, we're always trying to gain something else, you know, a different type of notoriety, a different type of crowd of people, um, you know, a, 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 a trying to find a different sense of worth. But for me, it was just like no matter, you know, the fame, the stardom, I always like felt connected to the have nots. You know, I always felt connected to the people who um, who didn't have the resources because that's where most of my frustration lied, you know? Uh, and I always say, like, when I, when I got money when I was 19 years old, I became someone that uh, didn't, that was a lonely person and, and didn't really have any friends or mentors, you know, because you have millions of dollars, but you're not, you don't have a million, million dollar mind, you know, like, you don't have the million dollar history or, or you don't really know what it is. And then the people around you where you come from, they have no clue. And so now the only thing that separates you from them and, and yourself is your money. And then the only thing that really puts you in another category or, you know, hang around certain people is your money and, or what you do. And so for me, it was just always trying to understand, you know, uh, the good, the bad, who am I going to be out of this? Well, the humanity of it all. One of the things that um, I asked you before we got started is what you wear around your neck. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if you would share with the listeners (laughs) what you're wearing around your neck and why. Because I think it says a lot about you. Yeah, uh, well, the first one is um, a dream catcher because uh, I like to call myself the dream king. Yeah, um, you have been for a lot of people. I have. And, you know, I think it, it, it was my dreams that actually got me to this point. And, you know, I just want people to, you know, I just want to make dreams come true. And the second and one. And make it, sure people keep dreaming. Yes. Encouraging that because that's, you know, that's how you can you can find your peace in, in, in your dreams. You can find your happy place. And the second one is, uh, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. <laughs> and, uh, something we could all remember these <laughs> right, days. <laughs> right. Right. It's, um, you know, it's just something that, you know, I, uh, I keep close to my heart. Yeah. You know, I want to be someone that when people see me, they feel uplifted. They feel encouraged. Um, you know, I I don't see people like the way the world wants me to see people. You know, I I I, I challenge. You know, I was I was taught at an early age to challenge authority, and so from that point, it's like, you know, I want to understand people. You know, and so evil, good, bad, like we don't really know what it is until we really dig down and really try to understand people and, and, and see what their perception of what their perception is, what their worth and what their value is to the world. And so that's why it's, you know, see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. Cause we don't have no time for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it consumes too much of yeah, our time. For sure. One of the things that we talked about when we were in Chicago, and I think really bonded over, 
is what the essence of leadership actually Mm -hmm. is. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of people get so confused. They think, well, if you have a lot of money, you must be a leader. Or if you have a big title or a big office, you must be a leader. And of course, money and title and office position, they have nothing to do with leadership. The essence of leadership is to be courageous and to have character, Mm -hmm. to have the humility and the empathy to actually collaborate with other people, especially people that are different than you. Right. And to see possibilities, Mm -hmm. to dream, to see possibilities. Mm -hmm. And there's so many things about you and your life that I think exemplify all of those aspects of leadership. Your grandmother clearly saw possibilities in (laughs) you, but you see possibilities all around you. Mm -hmm. And I think the highest calling of a leader in any setting is to unlock potential in others. Mm And you've obviously fulfilled so much of your potential, but you seem so focused on helping others dream their dreams and see their possibilities and unlock their own potential. And that's why you're a leader, not because you're an NBA star, although I take nothing away from <laughs> you being an NBA star. But, you know, I, I think that, hel- that, that helped me. You know, playing basketball helped sure me. Sure it did. You know, being a point guard, it was, you know, do you want to be the best player on the team? Yes. You know, do you want to be first in running? Yes. And, you know, basketball teaches you competitive, competitive. But at the same time, for me, it was like, I want to be able to make everyone better because that's the goal, you know. And whether we win a championship or not, if I can make each and every person on this team a little bit better than they were when we started, then I accomplished my goal because now when I look at it, you know, they want to play with me, you know, they want to be on my team. You know, they, they're, they're happy with the results that they're getting. And so in turn, you know, I can, you know, allow them to do what they do so I can get what I need in return or make the game easy for me. And just taking that, you know, to everyday life. And it's like, if we can unlock potential, and the right people. The world right now is in lack of leaders. Yes, it is. And in lack of like leadership and the right leadership on all verticals, in all forms, industries, things like that, um, because we wouldn't be having these conversations That's that we're right. having, right? And so for me, it's like let's disruption happens, culture changes, you know, um, and that only happens with. Leaders. That's right. In well, I think you just expressed such a succinct and profound definition of leadership. You wanted to be as excellent as you could be, and you wanted to make everybody else better. And we do need more leaders because we have lots of problems, and problems don't get solved without leaders. Yeah, and and and, and I think that a, a a true leader is one that's that's not not serving himself no a leader serves others. yeah you serve you serve people you listen you know and then you listen to what they say and then you implement and then you pioneer you pioneer and you carve out pathway but you don't you never let what your own celebrity or like we were talking about like what your own success is going to be from from what the mission and the goal is and i think you know, just throughout history and a lot of times, like even the times we're living in now is that we're tagging the wrong people to be the leaders in our country. Yeah, because we get confused us. about yeah. what it is. Yeah. Well, a leader sees possibilities in other people as well as themselves. You clearly mm-hmm. do. It takes courage to chart the path, as you described. It takes character to walk away from the people that tear you down or do the mm-hmm. wrong thing. Absolutely. And it takes collaboration. And, you know, when we were getting ready to do this podcast, I asked if there was somebody, a friend of yours, a colleague of yours that you wanted to lift up Mm -hmm. um, for their demonstration of leadership. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to introduce a friend of yours who you who's a great collaborator along with you. Dino Smiley. And so Dino joins us now. Dino, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And just a little, uh, there are so many people who know exactly who Dino Smiley is because they know about the Drew League and all the wonderful work you've done in the community here. Dino is a guy who has given back to his community here in L.A. for decades and decades and decades. You got associated with the Drew League first way back, I think, in 1975 
73. 73. 73. Okay, I'm off by two years, and you direct that league now, and you've lifted up so many kids here, and probably given some of the pros who come and play an opportunity to be lifted up as well. So talk a little bit about the Drew League for folks who are listening who may not know as much about it as basketball fans might. Yeah, well, the Drew League um, started in 1973, uh, right on the corner of uh, Firestone and Compton Avenue. Drew Middle School is uh, where the name came from because a lot of the uh, people who were playing attended Drew Middle School. Well, the coach, Alvin Wills, uh, decided in 1973 to organize a league of six teams, which he did. And I was there as an eighth grader and uh, helping him put it together and just keep score and stuff like that. So you've been a leader since you were in eighth grade, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> what they, they tell me. I'm old soul when I was young. So 10 years later, uh, I took over it, the league at age 23, and I've been running it now over the past 34 years. Mm. And when you took over the league at 23, did some people give you a hard time about that? Oh, yeah. They uh, they gave me a hard time. They say they, you were too young or what are you doing trying to yeah. leave this? or Yeah, because, you know, I was always around. And uh, the gentleman who had the league, Alvin Wills, he was a little older, so they kind of respected him more. But I think what happened to kind of change their mind is when I was younger, when I was 15, I actually became a coach in the Drew League, coaching guys who were 18, 19, 20 years old. And then I also won a championship at age 16. And I was the first one to actually go out and get a sponsor. At age 17, I went down the street to the Indiana Plumbing Supply Company, and I just asked the owner if he would sponsor our team, and he gave us uh, his blessings, wrote a check. I went down and uh, got the uniforms made at Jack Sporting Good. That was a neighborhood uh, sporting spot. And I went there, got the uniforms. So I was the first team, the first team that had actual uniforms. Everybody else in T-shirts with markers but I had Indiana Plumbing on the back, <laughs> and I had Dreamers in the front. That was the name of my team. Wow. Well, you know, one of the things that I think distinguishes leaders from others is leaders see possibilities. There are some people, you know, in my experience, there's certain people who will confront a set of circumstances, and they see all the problems, all the limitations, all the constraints. I can't do this. I can't do that. Nobody will let me do that. And then there are people like you, and you saw a bunch of possibilities. You said, well, why shouldn't I go to Indiana Plumbing and ask them to sponsor the team? And why shouldn't I ask for you? Nobody else had done that before, but you saw that possibility, Yeah. and you made it happen. And that lifted everybody up around you. They, I bet those <laughs> kids were proud with their Dreamers yeah, they, uniform. They, I kind of set the stage for other teams to go out and get uniforms. So Yeah, it made the you set a little, standard. Yeah, yeah, so uniforms became a must in A must-have. That's right. <laughs> So it, it happened. Then, uh, you know, as I took over the league um, and went from those six teams to now, we have like 26 teams in the league now. So uh, from all over the world, yeah, from too. everywhere. Wow. Yeah, coming from the NBA, they're coming from overseas. They're coming from elite colleges, high schools. So they're all on the court together. So how does it feel when you you probably don't ever take the time to think about it? But how does it feel to go from Indiana plumbing to a world famous? situation here where people come from all over the world and you're good friends with an NBA star. Many, I'm sure, but Baron for sure. I'm good friend. I'm Muffin. I find myself because I stay in the same neighborhood. I, I didn't move. I stayed right where I was, where I grew up at. And I, I find myself when I pass Drew Middle School, I just kind of look at it because that's where it was birthed at. And it's just a little gymnasium that has now taken it all over the world, and I just look at the school and, you know, I just think back. We were just happy to put the games out there and play. We weren't looking for any notoriety. We didn't. We weren't looking for anything. We just wanted to play every weekend, and then it just started to grow, and, and now it's, it's considered the best summer basketball league in the world. Now. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about to, to do what you did, to do what you're doing, both of you. You're having to collaborate with a lot of people, collaborate with a lot of people in this community, collaborate with a lot of people outside the community who now want a piece of what you're doing here, whether it's Barron's Black Santa's Media Club or your Drew League. And some of those people get what you are right away and some of them don't. Talk a little bit about collaboration, how important it is, but also how difficult it is sometimes. Well, I know collaborating can be very difficult because with Drew, you have to collaborate 
you have to get you know have to get permits. You have to talk to the principals. You got to talk to Indiana Plumbing. You got to talk, <laughs> talk to everybody, and and hoping they can see the same dream that you have and the same message that you're trying to send that it can make the community much better. And I think when we reach out to different people and organizations, now they're starting to see what we meant that every summer for three months, the community changes everything. The violence cease. Weekends are just a blessing to be out there because. Like Baron knows, and, and a lot of the guys know, we really don't have anything in the community. There's no malls. There's no, yeah, there's no movie theaters, no bowling alleys. We are the entertainment. So you got to collaborate with all these these different entities. And and one of the things I did when we moved to Drew, King Drew, we moved a little bit out of our area. But I knew six years ago when we moved there that I had to go and speak with the surrounding gangs because that wasn't the area that Drew grew up in. We were in a different area now. They knew about the Drew League, but we knew this gang here on the south side, the west side, east side of the facility, these were all gangs that didn't really get along. But we talked to them, we hired some of their people, and it's just beautiful. I mean, they have a, a saying that nobody, nobody destroys what's going on at the Drew League. We're protected, and it's been that way. So you got to collaborate yeah. with everybody, you know. And when you, when you collaborate with people, when you're trying to get others to understand your dream, I think sometimes people think the way to get that done is to kind of throw your weight around and be arrogant about, I got the answer and yeah. you don't. In my experience, it actually takes a lot of humility to say, I need help. I need you. Maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe you could help us do something a little bit different here. But it also takes enough empathy that you can really see and hear what their interest or their concern might be mm-hmm. and how maybe you could help them. Have, have you found that? Yeah, well, Baron. Um, I mean, it's hard to be humble, maybe as a star, but not for you. You're a humble guy, although, well, <laughs> although you have no reason to be actually. Well, I mean that that's that's one of the big uh, bases of our business, and when I go into either a team or a brand or a person, is really I go in and I try to understand your DNA, right? So if we're collaborating, I need to understand you. I need to understand where your goals are. You know what's um, what's of value to you. And then as the collaboration begins, I believe you definitely have to be humble and see their side of it. But it has to be like, you know, it has to be a humble negotiation because as a leader and, you know, it's 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 hard. You know, people say, oh, leaders are headstrong. Well, because, you know, you have your own opinions and you have your own ideas. But I think when you're collaborating with somebody, it's 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 important to lay your stuff on the table first and then have humility and empathy before you even go to that person. So you know what you want and what you're going to get in return. So now when you're negotiating, you can see things from kind of both sides and put yourself in the middle. And so that's what I I do when I meet with, you know, like the Utah Jazz, for example, or if it's another athlete or a brand is just really try to understand. Let me understand you. Where's your goals? How can I, you know, be of service to you? You know, and how can we work on something that's going to get us both a win? And, and like we say, Baron, um, the prime example, uh, grew up pretty much under the Drew League eye, but he always had that that wanting to give back. And we know he was bombarded with everybody pulling at him, you know, coming out of high school in UCLA. But he always came home, which was, you know, we, we never bothered him for things like that, but he would come home and, and do things for the kids in the community and provide camps and things like that. And we were just, we were in awe. We just would, would be excited, you know, go down to uh, Santa, Santa Monica, come down to Santa Monica for his basketball camps for the kids. He would send a bus out. So these are, are things, some people you have to go and ask, and some people know that, it should be done without asking, and he was one of those. Guys. But somebody did that for me. My very first basketball camp I went to, I got picked up from Manual Arts, uh, and that is very far from my house in South Central terms. It's maybe like ten blocks, but in South Central and and living in the hood is like you know a lifetime away. And that that bus went to Santa Monica, so that was my first time on a bus with guys going to a basketball camp in Santa Monica. And so when I made it, I was like, man, wouldn't that be cool to be able to give these kids the same experience? Because I remember what that did for me. It gave me an opportunity to see the other side of the 405 and the beach. 
<laughs> and say, hey, you know what? Yeah. People live like there's black people over here too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, so it's just like, you know, and, and when you're that young, you know, wh- wherever you are, Alabama, you know, South Central Los Angeles, uh, Indianapolis, like you live in such a small bubble that a lot of times it's just traveling in and out or going somewhere else that can spark a kid's mentality to dream and say, hey, I belong over here. You know, this is for me. Dino, leaders need to be courageous too. It's it's hard to do something different. It's hard to see possibilities when nobody else sees them. And it's hard sometimes to say we can make it better. Tell us a story about at any time during this where you really had to say, whew, I got to gear up here because this is going to take courage. It's scary. We all have those moments. Tell us about one of those for you. And then, Baron, I'm going to ask you the same thing. So, <laughs> One of the times uh, where that came in, into play was, you know, like I said, I live in, in the South Central area. Grew up in there. So now I'm in my 25th year working for Parks and Recreation in that same community. But what you have is uh, you have young men who are, who are pretty much lost. And you get the situation where they're not listening unless they're quiet and they're not surrounded by their, their peers. When they're quiet, you can get to them. Well, what happened was there was a young man uh, who was a good kid, played ball and everything, but he got to the point where he was listening to the gang members, the older gang members. And I would always tell him, like, hey, it's not too late. You know, when he would come to the gym, you know, you could do something. He said, okay, dude, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you. Well, we were supposed to meet that Sunday at the gym. That was my off day. We were supposed to meet. And I waited on him. This was about four years ago, and I waited on him. And he never came through. And then they told me, you know, at a party bus, he was gunned down the night before. So, you know, I'm like, wow. We tried. I just saw the kid Friday, and he gets gunned down Saturday. Well, at his, uh, at his repast that was held at the park, there was a young man who I'd been watching kind of going through the same thing. And um, he came by the park while they had the repass, and he wanted to charge his phone. So I was talking to him, and he was a nice guy. And I was saying, do you really want to do this, what you're doing with these guys? And he was like, no. So I said, well, we need to talk, and we need to talk right away. And I can't wait for tomorrow or the next day. So I took him in the gym, and we had about a 30-minute talk, and he kept coming around. So I gave him a little job. Well, after a year... You know, he's in school. He's in Mount Sac College. He's doing a lot of things. Then he graduated the following year. Now he's a uh, a counselor for a group home. He's got a little boy. And he came to me and he said, Dino, that was, that was un- unreal. And he brought me another guy. And he said, talk to him. He's going down that same path. And I told him what you did for me. And so we talked to the kid. Kid's doing well. He's in school. But it just goes to show you that if you can get them away from that whole group, because if you try to talk to them with the group around, is kind of death in one ear. But when that kid was killed, that made me say, okay, I can't wait to come see me in two weeks or three weeks. So ever since then, for the past four or five years, I've been just trying to get these guys. As soon as I see one that we can reach, then we go out and reach and I think Baron was at that gala that year. We gave him that award. Yes. yes. That was Ernest. And he's just continued to blossom, oh, yeah. doing great things. And he's just so happy. He comes by with his kid. And, and uh, he said, I can't stay here long. <laughs> I can't stay here long because I don't want these guys. You know, I said, yeah, you're going back, going back home. But uh, those kind of stories make you feel good. Well, the highest calling of a leader is to serve and to unlock potential in others. And whatever the status quo is, even when it's really terrible, it's hard to challenge it. And you do every day, obviously, because you see possibilities in people and you lifted them up. That's why Dino's here, folks, because he's a leader. He's a leader. That's the essence of leadership. All right, Baron, it's your turn. Uh, when you had to get brave, you know? <laughs> Um, I would probably say when um, I decided what college I was going to go to and what weighed into my college decision. And it was between UCLA, Kansas, and Duke. I don't think I've ever shared this with anybody like publicly like this, but 
for me, I knew that um, I was one of the top high school basketball players in the country and had potential to be, you know, a really, really, really great basketball player if I went to Duke. Because Duke had Coach K, they had the system, I could get away from L.A., I could be about basketball, and I could just lose myself in this basketball world for the next 20 years and not have to worry about anything. Number two was Kansas, but Kansas had a good team, and but I don't really think that Kansas was going to be, you know, the place. But if I would have went to Kansas, it was another opportunity to be good, but not the best that I could possibly be. And then it was like, or stay home with all your problems, <laughs> with all your friends, with all your family harassing you, with all these people pulling at you. And the reason why I decided to go to UCLA because I wanted that task. And I remember being in high school and when I went on my trip to Kansas, you know, they were in there. I remember they were in there. It was like shouting my name at a game. And I went to the UCLA game. When I came back and when I'm sitting in the stands, I realized that I had this kid with me was in eighth grade, Pooh Jetter. This kid with me was in ninth grade. Ten. So I had all of L.A., the next generation, over the next five or six years, sitting in the stands watching a game with me. And, you know, even though I'm older, like these kids look up to me. And so I, at that point, it was like, you know what? I got to go to UCLA because UCLA needs me, LA needs me, and I need, no matter how far I go, I need to be the person to get the to convince these kids that LA is the place to be, and you can do well by staying at home, and also for UCLA to go back to recruiting the guys who were locals. And I think, you know, once I made that decision, even though it was tough and I had a lot of pressure and a lot to deal with, and it wasn't just basketball, but, you know, basketball and life and all the other things, you know, when I look back at it, you know, I'd much rather sacrifice, you know, being the greatest of all time to, you know, open up the floodgates for, you know, opportunities like these L.A. basketball players getting in the way that we get looked at and uh, the way we get recruited now. So for me, that was that was courageous because I felt I could have went to Duke and, and took care of myself and been taken care of, but I wanted to do what I felt was a bigger challenge. Unlocking potential is all about leadership, and this podcast is all about leadership. And for everyone listening, you may think that Dino Smiley's here because he runs the Drew, the world-famous Drew. And you might think that Baron Davis is here because, wow, he's an NBA star and this incredible basketball legend. But actually, that's not why either one of them are here. They're here because they're leaders. They're here because of their courage in saying things can be different and should be different. They're here because of their character. They go after the right things, not the easy things. You're obviously incredible collaborators. It is not easy in a difficult set of circumstances with a lot of uh, competing interests to pull people together, even gangs whose whole mission in life is to destroy the other, to pull them together and say, no, 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 this time for this place, we're going to work together for the, these kids. And most of all, because you've always seen possibilities, obviously. You've seen possibilities in yourself and you've seen possibilities in the circumstances around you. That's why they're here. Now, they're also famous and accomplished, but mostly they're leaders. And I'm so very grateful to both of you for taking a little bit of time with me and sharing so openly some of your experiences and your stories. And I know that everybody listening has learned so much from both of you about leadership. And maybe, just maybe, they'll think a little bit about how they perhaps could step out and lead in whatever their circumstances are. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank you too, Juan, for allowing us to have a platform like this uh, to speak to an audience that, you know, we wouldn't normally get to speak to um, and to share and collaborate with a leader like yourself um, for you to, for you to, you know, give at, to ha to be accessible, you know, to people like us, to people like myself and, you know, to communicate and teach and learn and, 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 
you know, invite, you know, invite us into your world. I think that is, um, you know, just an amazing, you know, amazing thing and, and, and just a testament to true character. And I'm voting for you. And I'm saying <laughs> that now. So uh, you got my vote already. <laughs> Well, I hope that we will have, I hope we No all, pressure, no pressure. <laughs> I hope we all will have many opportunities to collaborate again. Yeah, yes, And definitely. thank you for allowing me into your world. And mm-hmm. I know that our listeners will want to know more about what both of you are doing. And we'll give them the opportunity to do that. And so this won't be the last time. All right? That's okay. a deal. It's got to yeah, be yeah, a promise, sure. you know? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to Come it. In. All right. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. My goodness. There is not a lot left to say. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) those three individuals, my goodness. I mean, you know, you think about it because, of course, anytime you have a figure such as Baron Davis, who has just really built such a huge brand for himself um, Mm -hmm. around his work in athletics, you know, that's what people know, right? And that's just sort of what you expect, even in talking about sort of his story and sort of how he's ended up doing the things he's ended up. But my goodness, the level of perspective um, that he had going um, into the, the NBA, you know, the piece about, you know, the draft and making decision um, before that, where to go to college and where to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, the level of sort of thought and perspective that just, you know, there's a couple of things that just popped out for me. And it was very clear that, you know, given his um, background um, and the leadership that he'd been exposed to through athletics and his grandmother, that he was up for that challenge. Mm-hmm. Right. Um that as he was forced with sort of thinking about where he was going to start his career and play, you know, stay at UCLA in his hometown, go to Duke, go to Kansas. Um, Eric's over there uh, doing what is what do you call that? Waving the wheat. Uh, he's waving the <laughs> wheat. Waving the wheat. Yeah. They didn't get to do it to Baron Davis, but <laughs> you know, but the fact that. He's, he, he talked about sitting in the stands and looking around and seeing the next generation, the young guys who were so inspired. Right. Um, and I think in many ways they saw possibility through him. Absolutely. That allowed him to be up for the challenge. Right. And taking the challenge to stay and play at UCLA Um and to have the impact that he's been able to have. And it, you know, recognized for me that, you know, one, that he saw the opportunity. He really saw possibilities. And then he realized what could be manifest um, by that possibility of being staying in, in UCLA and being present. And then he recognized that not only did those young people need it and the community need it, but he needed it himself as a part of his development to continue mm. to keep him anchored. You know, he could have gone off the Duke and, you know, or Kansas and lived the, the high life and sort of been separate and, you know, from that experience and just been able to focus on himself. But he recognized not only the community needed him there, that he needed to be there. And ultimately he said yes to that. And I think that's, you know, a basic lesson that we all, you know, can take is that, you know, number one, you have to be up for the challenge. You got to be willing to take the challenge. Um, and then you have to see it, realize it, and then you got to want it. And then you actually have to acknowledge that you need it, right? Or others need it. Um, And then truly be willing to say yes and say yes by your action. And I mean, the fruit is is his success and not only his success, but the success of so many young people um, and what has happened um, in that community. So I love that. I mean, honestly, there's very little to say after that, Jeffrey. I think it's just such a nice summation of what of what we heard and the lessons. You know, that I think that I took away from it, and it sounds like you did too. I think what's also interesting, and I just want to highlight from what you said, is this idea that Barron recognized that he was uniquely positioned to take on this leadership role because he understood those problems. He grew up in a circumstance and in a community that provided him firsthand experience, and so his. Um, ability to role model and solve that problem was so much more than somebody, frankly, who came in from the outside. And I think that speaks to this idea that 
people closest to the problem really are best positioned to solve it. And so, you know, as our listeners are kind of processing so much that there was to hear in that episode, one thing I'd encourage everyone to be thinking about is this idea that that what makes, you know, Barron's story and Dino's story so unique is that they saw a problem close to them, close to their heart, one that they'd experienced and they knew, and they said, we're going to take this on, even if it involves personal sacrifice, even yes. if it means we have to give up some level of professional success. Um, this is something that we are uniquely positioned to do. And every one of us has something or some things like that. And so I just encourage as everybody kind of leaves this episode, lots to reflect on. One thing I I would suggest we all be thinking about is what are those thing or things that each one of us is best positioned to solve because we know and live it every day. And so, you know, I know there's a thousand things, frankly, Jeffrey, that you and I Indeed. could talk about this. I'm going to make a request to our producer. He always turns me down. He says no for everything. But I'm going to request <laughs> we have another episode where we can digest all of this stuff. Oh, um, yes, because I'm, I'm full right now, full of vision and possibility. I, yeah, I have like just endless things I want to say. Yep, Eric's telling me no, but, you know. <laughs> I think there's a thousand more things to say, but we've already taken up so much of your precious time. And and frankly, we'd love to let the, the lessons of the podcast kind of resonate with all of you. Um, but you can always check out more episodes online at carlyfiorina.com or on iTunes. Please subscribe so you can get all the latest episodes. And while you're there, please rate us five stars and give us a review so more people can join our conversations. You can find more information and keep up to date on new episodes and offers by joining our email list at carlyfiorina.com slash by example. You can also send us feedback there or on Facebook and Twitter at Carly Fiorina. Also, check out CarlyFiorina.com to pre-order Carly's new book on leadership. Find your way, unleash your power and highest potential. And join us on By Example for our next episode, How Colin Powell Became Colin Powell. And the guidance counselor wrote in his guidance counselor slip, Young Powell wishes to go to Bronx High School of Science or Stuyvesant. We recommend against it. They wouldn't even let me apply because they knew who I was and what I was at that point. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I never would have been successful if I hadn't had that, that long run of, of mediocrity before somebody realized, hey, this guy could be a leader. So on behalf of Carly Fiorina, my wonderful co-host Jeffrey, my sort of wonderful producer Eric, I'm Casey Enders, and this is By Example.